Alrighty. So um, this is, I think, my third time here uh, in Ashland, and uh, I enjoy it very much. And I think I met someone from Baltimore, so I know that you guys have at least one representative or somebody who knows what it's like in Baltimore. And Ronnie's been there a few times, and we're hoping to get him back out this fall to preach for us. But I do want to, again, take a moment to thank you guys for your faithfulness. I know that um, sometimes when you hear it from the inside, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are things that you, you see that I don't see because you're from here and you live here, and there's probably some things that you don't see because you're from here and you live here. And um, I'm always amazed. This is the first time my wife has been with me, and uh, God's grace is here. When, when there was a work going on in Antioch, Jerusalem sent Barnabas, and the Bible says in Acts 11, when he came and saw the grace of God. And that's what I see here. I see the grace of God. It was a privilege to come in and to, to work with some of the leaders yesterday and just to see a congregation here. And I got to tell you that um, you guys are, this is like the covet, this is like the covet of every church planner. I know you guys are in a warehouse and you guys see all the issues with this. But um, when we moved to Baltimore, I wanted to be in a warehouse, kind of like this. But it would never be as cool, because I'm not as cool as Ronnie. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and if you ever visit Freedom, my, my Freedom looks more like the Death Star. It's just like black and white and red. And there's lightsabers floating around for disobedient church members. That's how we roll, you know. Uh, but it's, it's just not cool. So I know that I'm not cool, and I couldn't be as cool as Ronnie. Um, but uh, this is a beautiful place, uh, not just... Physically, there's a physical aesthetic beauty where you could see God's glory. As we look outside and we see that thing called the sun impacting the environment and the greenery comes up and we can praise God, inside you can see God's glory. But what's more glorious than the physical thing is the people of God here. You people who come here weekly, you serve in the nursery, you clean this place, you decorate it, you change the themes. Uh, I saw greeters out there when I was coming in. All the people who are working tirelessly behind the scenes that never get credit, never get on stage. All those prayers, the people who are giving sacrificially, uh, tithing here, people who are praying, all of you guys, um, basically it mounts to the house of God and it, and it means something. And uh, I don't know how you feel living in Ashland, Ohio, because I don't live here, but you're in the middle of the country. <laughs> and uh, it's easy for Ashland, Ohio to be forgotten, but you're not forgotten. Jesus is here. This is his church. He's building this church. And you're having an impact in the 20th largest city in the nation, Baltimore, Maryland, by what you're doing. You guys are impacting us. And your pastor's impacting me and the rest of our pastors there in Maryland. So do not despise the day of small things. And never think we're just an old Ashland and we're just going to mind our own business and be Christians and then we're all just going to die and it'll be all great. You guys are having an, a national impact and I trust at some point internationally as well. So I want to encourage you guys to continue in the faith and to keep doing what you're doing. Amen? All right. So for a few moments, I want you to think with me about this concept of brokenness, the concept of brokenness. And in Job 17.1, it says, my spirit is broken, my days are cut short, and the grave awaits me. My spirit is broken, my days are cut short, the grave awaits me. Now, this is the kind of text that I get excited about. My spirit is broken, my days are cut short, the grave awaits me. 
And you might say that I've got a little bit of a distorted personality to get excited about this kind of a text. But the reason why I'm excited about this kind of text is not just because it's in the Bible, not just because Job said it, but because it's real. It's the experience of every real person who has a real relationship with God, who tries to live a real life in this life. At some point, at some time in your life, you're gonna reach a point to where you feel a sense of brokenness. And I cannot tell you how, how inviting and how encouraging and how welcoming God is and his personhood to do a work like this in Job, to have Job pen these words. But it got me thinking about the topic or the subject of brokenness. Now, um, I didn't grow up with tools. I have seven brothers and sisters. They all did. I was the youngest of them, so I was spoiled to death. I had a bottle in my mouth till I was seven years old, true story. And I bit the top off so the milk would flow faster. Uh, that's how I rolled, till I was seven. So yeah, I'm that spoiled uh, eighth kid. So they did everything for me. So to this day, I kind of know what a wrench is. Um, I don't do Home Depot and Lowe's because you have to go back there like 10 times for just to fix something. I think that's just ridiculous. But, um, but I'm not that fix-it person. Never have been. My wife gets all the tools. I buy her all the tools and she fixes everything. And if she can't do it, I just pay someone to do it. That's just how I roll. <laughs> um, because that's how God's made me. So for me... Once something is broken, it's like broken. I don't tend to view things as fixable because I can't fix it. And my perception, once it's broken, you get a new one. That broken thing no longer has any value. The idea that you would fix it is, is, is not like, what? But that's not true in the gospel and that's not true with God. What we learn with the Lord is that the Lord doesn't see the world like Mike Crawford does. The Lord sees brokenness as an opportunity to step in there and to mend and to heal and to work. And more than that, the Lord sees brokenness as a glorious circumstance by which he can go in and fill and make a great name for himself and do a great work. When we think of broken things, we think of deficient things. We have a judgment upon them. In the day of age of cell phones, um, and, and especially when you're like our family and you have five kids, which means you have one of those mega plans that you're trying to work your kids out of your plan, <laughs> right? And that means we have seven uh, phones. And when you come over our house, now that we have all our, a lot of our kids are driving except for one, we have a car dealership when everyone shows up. We have six cars, seven phones. So we just have more stuff that can break, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's all just gonna break. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm not even close to being rich enough to fix it all. So, so you know, you, you, you have your kid and they come in one day and they say, yeah, you know, I dropped my phone and the screen's cracked and now it doesn't work. And, um, you know, when they used to drop their Legos, I could put them back together. And when they drop their little toys, we can glue it or duct tape it. And now they're dropping these things that are so expensive and it's like, you're, you're, you're done. And, and I'm wondering if sometimes if sometimes we come to church and we have a sense of our own brokenness and sometimes we feel like, that's me. I'm that cracked cell phone. I'm that, I'm that broken thing that's just jacked up and I wonder if God will ever use me. I wonder, if, I wonder how God feels about me and I wonder if people come to church uh, day by day by day and they have this concept that because they're still sinning or because there's still things in their life 
that, that maybe they'll never amount to something and, and maybe God has, has passed over them. And so what I wanna do with the remaining moments this morning is give you some encouragement from, a, from God's perspective on the subject of brokenness. I wanna tell you five things about brokenness to consider and I hope these things really will penetrate. I hope they'll make you feel different about it. I hope they'll make you think differently about it. And for, for those of you who are doers, I hope they'll make you do something about it, that you will see that your brokenness should not be a hindrance for you towards ministry because we've got, re, we got redemptive history full of people who are broken. The last time I read my Bible, there was only one perfect person in that Bible, amen? Last time I read my Bible, I read a story of a lot of broken men and women who God used to do great and amazing things. So the first thing, in Psalm 34, 18, the first thing I want to remind you of about brokenness is that God is close to the broken and saves the broken. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I like this because it talks about proximity. It doesn't say the Lord is, is, is around. It says he's close to the brokenhearted. And proximity matters. If you ask David if proximity matters, he would say yes. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For thou art somewhere out there. For thou art in principle all-knowing. For thou art in principle everywhere. That's not what he said. He said, for thou art what? with me. And it was Jesus who said, as if you go and make disciples, I will be with you to the end of the age. It was Jesus who said, where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am with them. Now there's nothing more important than presence. And we tend to underrate that. Ah, sorry, I can't make it. Presence is important. And the glory of the gospel is that God is with us. It's God, God has become Emmanuel, right? He's with us. But what's even more astonishing is that this text says the Lord is close to not the heroes of the faith, not those who are fasting and praying, not those who are going out and passing tracts, not those who are planting churches, not those who are doing all those things to get them platforms and they get to speak before all the conferences and they get books and all this type of stuff. It says he's close to the brokenhearted. What? Because see, when things break, I, I immediately start distancing myself from them. Once my cell phone is broken, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna walk around with it. It's of no use to me, it's broken. I don't wanna carry it. Once my iPad doesn't work, well then I need to go into my computer, figure out what to print the notes. I'm not gonna carry it around. In other words, we typically don't get close to things that are broken because they're no longer useful. See the power of the gospel in this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, if you want to know who is God close to, you're going to have to completely reorient your mind because our minds are prone to think, oh, that God is close to the angelic. God is close to the godly. But the Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. This morning, if you come in here and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm like Job. My spirit is broken. My days have been cut short. Sometimes all I can see is my, is my depravity and my sin. If you've got a heart like Paul, where you're like, look, that which I wish to do, I don't, and that which I don't wanna do, I do, and I often find myself falling so short. I'm so broken, where is God? He's close to you. Now the issue with this text is not the text, the issue is with our theology. Because we still have a works-based unbiblical concept of who God is and what he's done in the gospel. 
What the gospel tells us is God has come for the broken. The gospel tells us he has come to seek and save the lost, not the found. He has come to seek and save those who are sick, not those who are healthy. And so the great news about your brokenness, if you're in Christ, is that God is close to you. And the question is not whether that's true. The question is whether you're going to believe it. And for a great many of us, it's going to mean we're going to have to repent of how we think about ourselves and more so how we think about God because I personally believe it's offensive to us when we think about God in ways that are countered in the way he wants us to think about us. But he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, if you're a person that says, man, I want to be close to God, if you're a person that says, man, I'm, I'm crushed, then the Bible would say that God is close to you and he's in the process of saving you. Secondly, Psalm 47.3, we read in Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, sometimes God can do this miraculously, he can do this instantly. And sometimes God does this over time. And most of us who are Christians, we would rather God do this miraculously and instantly. But the reality of it is, is sometimes you walk up to, to God and he does a Jesus move. He gra gra grabs a little dirt, spits in it, makes something, look, and puts it on your eyes and tells you to do something. Sometimes he's like the old prophet who tells you to walk around it seven times and you, you wonder, why am I doing this? Sometimes it's a process by which God will heal you. But the scriptures are here to tell you that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I gotta tell you that we have often prayed this prayer in my life, in our family's life, for our kids and in our church. And we pray this prayer because we know that God is a divine physician. This is his business. The Lord cannot suffer for very long for his kids to be in pain, for his kids to live in states of brokenness. And he comes in and he begins to heal and he begins to sew up and he begins to make those things that are so off to be right. And sometimes that's a very painful, painful circumstance, but that's what the Lord does. That's what he exists to do. And you, again, you've got to see the heart of God towards our brokenness. The heart of God is not judgment. The heart of God is, is not penile. The heart of God is, let me heal. Let me get in there and, and bind up the wounds. Now, our responsibility is to actually be open to this. Unfortunately, my brothers and sisters, I've seen too many people not open to being healed. You know, it's almost like a taboo for a Christian to stand up and say, I have an addiction. If you're in a really conservative Bible teaching church, it's like, well, what's that? Is that even biblical? Yeah, it's biblical. <laughs> um, and, and, and so we walk around with these, with we, in the language of Rick Warren, and these hurts and habits and these hangups, and, and, we, and we're, we wear the Christian makeup, and, and we don't realize that God wants to step in and he wants to heal. It's a tragedy that in the house of God where there's balm, where we could get the most help, sometimes we don't. And sometimes we don't, not because it's not available. It's because we're not willing to step up and say, hey, I'm really hurting. Hey, I'm really broken. Hey, I need some attention. And, and I know first and foremost, I need to get it from the Lord. But second, I need to get it from, from, our, from the people of God. And oftentimes, the way God will heal the brokenhearted and bind up their rooms is with the body of Christ themselves. 
You are often God's hands and eyes and ears and feet to heal up the brokenhearted with a kind word, with a visit, with being present, with praying for one another. And for, you know, doing those things in the Bible that we kind of like don't want to do, like we like to quote the one another's, but the greatest one, the, the one another that's quoted most in all the scriptures, greet one another with a, with a holy kiss, but we don't kiss each other because we're Americans and we think if you kiss somebody, you commit an adultery, we're way, you know, we're really crazy. But there's another thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to confess our sins to one another so that you may be healed. Uh, And the Bible talks about if there's anyone amongst you sick, James 5, let them call for the elders of church and let them come with the oil and anoint them. Now, in our conservative Baptist churches, you know, I work for Southern Baptist. I mean, I can probably count on one hand how many times, and I've pastored thousands of people, I've been called to a home to come pray with oil because we go, oh, that's just weird. Why is it weird? It's in the Bible. What's weird about it? You're weird. (laughs) Bible's not weird. We always want to do stuff smarter than God. Have we not learned? We're not smarter than God. We don't even know what's all in the ocean. We can't even see the expanse of the universe. Why do we think we're smarter than God? We're not. What we need to hear is that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And so if you're here this morning and you're brokenhearted and you've got a wound, this is the place to be. And we are the body to help you be healed and bound up. Number three, and this is one of my favorite things about brokenness, Psalm 51.7. God does not despise a broken spirit. My sacrifice, David says in Psalm 51.17, oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. What a contrarian concept that is. That's like the exact opposite of like the person uh, worshiping. I I preached at a church last year and they had this this guy on the keyboard and and he was really cool. I'm glad there was nobody on the keyboard today because the guy on the keyboard would think I was saying he wasn't cool, but y'all didn't have a keyboard, so I'm not saying that. This guy was on the keyboard, and when he played, he would jump like this. It was just awesome, and he was just like, he was jamming. And, uh, and I, I don't know about you, but like, I, I, I like, I, my soul gets invited in when the musicians are like into it, you know what I mean? And, and your musicians were like engaged and stuff, and, 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 and this guy was, you know, he was, he was going, and he was going, and, but when we think about what God won't despise, we typically have pictures like that. You know, pictures of the person working in the mud huts in India and like, you know, getting sick and throwing up for seven days because they're trying to get people to gospel and they're in jail. And I think, man, those are the sacrifices that God will not despise. But what does this say? My sacrifice, oh God, is a what? My sac- what? Shouldn't this be like a worship song? Shouldn't this be a sermon? Shouldn't this be like community group attendance? Shouldn't this be like a tithe? Shouldn't this be like a doing a one another? Should, should this really say my sacrifice, sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit? You're giving God your brokenness? Yes. What does God think about your brokenness? A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So again, the question is not whether this is true. The question is, what do you really believe about this? And me thinks, as Spurgeon would say, this is the reason why so many Christians, when they come to church, they don't sing. This is the reason why so many Christians, when they come to church, they don't participate. This is why they're like, just like, check in, check the box, I'm here, give the money. Yes, 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 don't expect much of me. Here's why, because 
intrinsically, you know you're jacked up. And you don't really believe that if you offer up your jacked upness to God, he would accept it. You think, I can't give this to God. I can't serve. I can't do anything because I'm broken. And God would despise it. What God would despise it? What God are you talking about? Are you talking about the father who so loved the world that sent his only begotten son because he loved you so that you would not perish, yet you believe? Are you talking about the son who left glory and came into the cesspool and lived a righteous life that you can't live, died on the cross for all of your sins and was raised from the dead, defeating uh, um, um, humans' ultimate enemy? Are you talking about that Jesus? The one who said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You couldn't be talking about him, and you can't be talking about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has the audacity not to send the Son, not to be the Son, but to go where no other Godhead would dare to go, and that's to live inside of you. Some of y'all got that. You're like, whoa, 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 that's deep. Because I don't even like me sometimes. Why would he live in me? So you cannot be talking about the Trinity of the Bible. So you must be talking about an idol God that you fabricated in your mind that you cannot offer your brokenness up to. See, we have a radical, contrarian, glorious gospel which has made Christians dance, which made guys like Mr. Elliot go to the jungles and say things like, a man has not lived until he's found a reason or Jesus to die. Because why would you work so hard for something that you're gonna lose? Why, would we, why shouldn't we work for those things that we can never lose? But we have a glorious gospel that says this, you can bring your brokenness to God and you can offer it as a sacrifice and the scripture says, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. That's really good news. Because I gotta tell you, contrary to what you may think, bow tie and all that, I'm very jacked up. I'm broken. I'm not the Christian I ought to be. I'm not the husband I ought to be. I'm not the father I ought to be. I'm not the citizen I ought to be. There is brokenness riddled all throughout this man. But I, the gospel says I can come in my brokenness and present it. Broken worship, broken sermons, broken husbandry, broken fatherhood, broken servanthood, broken missiology, and even present a broken misfit of we don't even really know what we're doing, church plant thingy. And God goes, I don't despise it. It's my little kid drawing the little paper with the crayon and coming in and saying, look, daddy, it's a bear. And you're like, it is? Amen, praise the Lord, great. But we don't often think about the father like that. And although sometimes we sit in the Protestant church and look at the Catholic church and say, ah, oh, look at those Catholics, they're still worshiping and they're all about works. Are we not also about works when we allow our brokenness to keep us from offering a sacrifice to God? Are we not also uh, bound by our works when we, we begin to think about God in a contrary way than what the scripture says? He won't despise brokenness. He delights in it. And the last thing I want to show you about brokenness is from Isaiah 61. And this is the most glorious thing about brokenness. The Bible says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Isaiah 61, this is of Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was sent for the broken. That is really good news. Brothers and sisters, I stand before you as a man who's now 50 years old, been a Christian for 31 years. And you know, my story didn't start like some of your stories. I always tell a story and I'm always gonna tell the story no matter how many people have heard it, I tell the story because we know the statistics in a crowd this large, it's probably a good, 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 probably pretty accurate that somebody in here was where I was 31 years ago. At the end of my wits, desperate, depressed, sitting on a beach with a notepad and a pen, contemplating how I was gonna take my life, suicidal. But my brother had been talking to me about Jesus. We didn't like him, because he always talked about Jesus. We didn't want to hear about Jesus. Our view of Jesus was not like this. We didn't have a view that Jesus loved broken people. I didn't have a view that Jesus would accept me. I had this view that Jesus was just gonna ruin my life and take all my good stuff in the world away from me. And he had nothing to offer. And there I was sitting on that beach when I believe it was the Holy Spirit who told me to go buy a Bible. So I went down to something called a bookstore. Some of you young cats don't know what a bookstore is. By the way, let me translate. We say cats in Baltimore. That just means people. <laughs> so let me, let me rephrase that. So translate for you guys. You want to come up and translate, Ronnie? <laughs> Some of you young people don't know what bookstores are. That's where you like cut down trees and you make paper and you have these things called books. You have some in there, books. So I went to the bookstore to buy a book. And I said, look, I want to buy a Bible, but I need to know what Jesus said. And the lady said, well, get a red letter Bible. Because I was like, none of the other words matter, just what Jesus said. Because that's all my brother talked about, Jesus said. So I grabbed the Bible, and I went home, and I locked the door, and I flipped through the Bible, because I didn't know my Bible. I did not know my Bible. I didn't know God. I didn't know church. I didn't have what you young kids have right now sitting here. I didn't have that. I didn't have a mother and father like you young kids have who brought them to church. I didn't have all that. So I'm flipping through the Bible trying to find Jesus. And I found some red letters in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus and John the Baptist are talking. And all I did was read the red letters. That's all I did. And I got to Matthew chapter 9, where he says to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven you. And right then and there, something happened. Me and God became friends. The miracle of salvation happened. The wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And this man was born again there in the summer of 87. And I met Jesus right on the verge of taking my life. My thought was I was gonna buy a Bible, I was gonna read the Bible, I was gonna take my life, and then when I met God and he said, why should I let you into heaven, my gospel was gonna be, I read the Bible. How many people, that's their gospel. Instead of reading the Bible and taking my life, I met Jesus in all of my brokenness. And now some 30 years later, think about this, think about this. I'm in Malibu, California, wanting to take my life. You say, why would you want to take your life in Malibu, California? Can I blow your mind more? Do you know where I was 
thinking about taking my life on the beach. I want you to think about something. And today, I'm in front of you talking to you about brokenness. Do you know why? Because I really believe it. It's not just a sermon. God saves broken people. I'm witness. And I don't believe in accidents. I don't know how many more times I'll get to stand before this congregation. And I don't know why you came here this morning. Sometimes I ask Ronnie, I don't know what I'm doing in Ashland, Ohio. I didn't plan for this. This is what happens when God calls you to do stuff. He takes you places you'd never be. But I know one thing. God called me here this morning to talk to somebody who's broken, somebody who's depressed, somebody who feels like I'm at my wit's end and I don't know if God can use me. And God saved a guy 30 years ago from taking his life out of his brokenness and then matured him and walked him through and has tolerated and put up with him and accepted his sacrifice and worked in and through that brokenness and brought him all the way to this point just to tell you about Jesus. That's how important you are to the Lord God, that he would use a guy like me. Crazy, bow-tie, Baltimorean dude out here. So come to Christ. He'll receive you in your brokenness. If you've already come to Christ, perhaps it's time to come back to Christ and to start the process of figuring out what does it look like for me to take my wounds, to bring my brokenness to, to God. Perhaps it's time to really lay that out and perhaps it's time for some of us in the body to have our eyes open so that when other of us come in the body and need that healing and need that binding up, we can be the body of Christ for them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your guidance. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you do not despise the sacrifices of a broken heart. We are so grateful, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. We're so grateful, Lord, that you have told us that you would never leave us or forsaken us. We're so grateful that your righteous life, your wrath-bearing death, and your, your resurrection is sufficient to justify us. We're so, we're so thankful, Lord, of your enduring, unchangeable commitment towards us that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that now that we're believers in Christ, there is no condemnation. I want to praise you and thank you for this congregation. Thank you for its pastors, its deacons, its leaders. Thank you for all the people that you've gathered here. Undoubtedly, just like me, broken people who you are working in. As the scripture says, we have these truths, these treasures, and these jars of clay that the glory may be of you and not of us. May you get much glory out of this church and out of this ministry. And may you bless the church in Wooster, God. And may you continue to make them fruitful because it is so obvious you're at work here. Lord, we want to ask that you would mend us up and you would meet us where we need to be met. We ask these things in the name that is above every name. In Jesus' name, amen.